Well, uh, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to be with uh, Night Church. If I haven't met you before, my name's Mike. I'm usually uh, preaching in the morning congregations, but uh, every now and then, Troy lets me loose on Night Church, so it's my pleasure to be able to serve you tonight. Uh, let me pray. We've got, a, I think, a tough one tonight, self-control, uh, but let me pray for God's help as we uh, look at this topic. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, pray this evening that as we hear your word, that you would convict us of the truth of your word, that by your spirit you will transform us to live in light of your word, that we might be more like Jesus, your son. And help us in all that we hear tonight to remember that you are the God of forgiveness, the God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that we might know you as father. Uh, Please help that to be ringing true in our ears as we hear what you say now. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, today we come to the last in the list of the fruit of the Spirit's self-control. And uh, I'm pretty sure I don't have to do too much to convince us of the need for self-control or of the problem of a a lack of self-control. I actually think human existence is is a lifelong battle in this thing we call self-control. And you see it from the earliest of uh, ages. You see it in kids. You know, you see them having a tantrum on the floor. Uh, You see the the way they hit the way they bite. Uh, you see it in the marshmallow test. Have you, have you ever seen those YouTube videos of little kids in the marshmallow test? So uh, a person takes a kid into a room and they get the kid to sit on the chair and on the table right in front of the kid, they put a marshmallow on a little plate in front of the kid and they say to the kid, all right, here's a marshmallow and you can eat it, but if you wait five minutes, I'll give you a second one and you can have two marshmallows. You just need to practice self-control. Don't eat the marshmallow just wait five minutes and then you'll get another one. And the person walks out of the, uh, out of the room and the video is kind of recording what the kid does. And then you watch as the kid, you know, touches the marshmallow and the kid picks it up and sniffs it and it licks it and then it just eats it. And then 30 seconds into the experiment, it's all over. And then the, the point is lack of self-control. There you go. But it's not just kids. It's, it's every stage of life. And I think we know this to be true. Uh, a common saying nowadays is, is, oh, to be young and reckless. You know, to be young is to be, uh, you know, free of self-control. Do what you want. Do what feels good. Oh, to be young and reckless. Uh, And it's not just young adults. It's actually every stage of adulthood. Uh, You see this, sadly, in the stats that you can find on different kinds of addictions, Uh, be it drugs, sex, gambling, porn. Uh, Gaming now is a a big one. Uh, You see it in the rate of of adultery amongst married adults. You you see it in the debt levels due to materialism and and greed amongst adults. See, self-control is a problem for every age and every stage. It's a battle. And the Scriptures, the Bible's not blind to this. You see, here is the Word of God to the young men in this room. The Word of God to the young men in this room. Paul says in Titus 2, Young men, be self-controlled in everything. Full stop. That's it. See, God knows what young men are like. Be self-controlled. But it's actually not just the young men. Uh, Titus 2, in a, in a list of other things that, that, uh, that Paul uh, exhorts older women to tell younger women, the younger women are told to be self-controlled. And it's not even just the younger men and the younger women, but it's the elderly as well. It's not just the young. Paul exhorts the elders and the leaders in the church in Titus chapter 1, be self-controlled. And so I don't think I need to do too much to convince us of our need to to think on this issue. Self-control is important. 
Uh, the worst of scandals, the, 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 the worst of consequences at times can come from just that momentary loss of self-control. And if all that's not big enough already, let me heighten the stakes a little more. You see, the world would be a far better place if we would all just practice a little bit more self-control. That is true, but that's not Paul's concern here. See, Paul's concern is much bigger. God's concern is much bigger than just a happier world. You see, self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's on the list of the fruit of the Spirit because without it, you cannot be a follower of Jesus. It's as simple as that. That is how important self-control is for the Christian. See, God, God's not concerned primarily with, with your waistline. Uh, he's not concerned primarily with your self-control over the kinds of food you eat or whatever it might be. No, God is concerned in our practicing self-control for the sake of our salvation. It's for the sake of God's glory. It's for the sake of our eternal life. And so I won't lie, we've got a, a big topic, a heavy topic really, uh, to think about this evening. And I want to start by showing you why the Christian must practice self-control by going back to the lists in Galatians chapter 5. So make sure you've got your Bible open. I'm, I'm, we'll spend most of our time in Galatians chapter 5. It'll be uh, hugely helpful if you've got it there in front of you. And just have a look at the first of the lists there in chapter 5, verse 19. So Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Make sure you've got it there, flick or scroll, whatever it might be. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. And this is the way of the flesh. And you might remember this from the first sermon we did in this series. So Paul says, verse 19, he says, The work of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And if such actions, if, if those behaviours that are listed there are works of the flesh, and if they're the sorts of behaviours that are to be avoided by Christians, then that will take self-control. So the first point is very simple. To avoid the way of the flesh, that list there that Paul gives, takes self-control. And it will take self-control because remember what Paul says a little bit earlier in verse 16. So go down to verse 16 because remember what he says there. At verse 16 he says, These are the desires of the flesh, of our natural human flesh. They are the cravings of the flesh, the longings of the flesh, which means you want to do them. That's the problem with the fleshly desires. You want to do them. It is a strong desire. They are tempting to us. And that is the default position. That is what we are like by default as humanity. You see, the reason that toddler almost always fails the marshmallow test is because the natural disposition of the human being is to follow the desires of the flesh. We want to do it. The temptation is real. It's strong. And again, what is at stake here is not you know, another marshmallow, which would be nice, or, or a sore belly from having too much food or, or eating too many lollies. Now look at what Paul says at the end of the list. Look at the end of verse 21. So he gives those the list of the way of the flesh. And end of verse 21, Paul says, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things, these desires of the flesh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that's how important this is. 
Salvation is at stake. Our place in the kingdom of God is at stake. You see, to, to, to be young and reckless, it has consequences. Not only uh, for your life now, and you'll particularly pay for it in your 30s and 40s, but actually consequences for your eternal life. And it doesn't matter how old you are as a Christian, be it your 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, however old you are, if you carry on following the temptations and desires of the flesh, the warning is clear, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so the point is simple, the Christian must practice self-control. The temptations are strong and the consequences are very real. It is eternal life. And the sad thing about all this is that actually those desires of the flesh, they don't really satisfy. Uh, I, can, I, I can't tell you uh, how many men I know in their 20s and 30s uh, and now in their 40s as well as, as I get older who, who just give in to the way of the flesh. Uh, Non-Christian men that I know that just give in to the way of the flesh, they, they follow their fleshly desires and yet they're not content. And sure, you know, it kind of sounds good when you're on the soccer field and you're there with all your mates and you're there at the pub and it sounds really nice as they're talking about the drink and, uh, you know, how much partying they had and, and the supposed young women in their lives as they go around and be promiscuous. And, you know, and I had a really big win on the horses the other day and it was great. But when you talk to these men, when you really talk to them, they're hurting. And their lack of self-control and giving in to the desires of the flesh doesn't actually satisfy And worst of all, if they continue as they are, they will never inherit the kingdom of God. But it's not just the negative side, if I can put it that way. We also need self-control for the positive side, for the way of the Spirit. And so have a look again now at the second list, and uh, Brendos read this for us before. But look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Look again at verse 22. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. And again, the point is simple. If we fail to practice that last one, if we fail to practice self-control, then we'll also fail the rest of that list. Because it takes self-control to be patient. It takes self-control to be kind, to you know, suppress those bursts of angers that we might have. It takes self-control to practice gentleness rather than grumbling about that person and and asserting your own ends. Uh, Sometimes people say uh, that uh, love and self-control are kind of like the bookends of the fruit of the Spirit. So you have love at the beginning and uh, and self-control at the end. And that's because without love, you don't want to do the things in this list. You won't want to do them. If you don't want to love someone, you're not going to want to do these things. But without self-control, you actually won't be able to do the things of this list. Now, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Paul's intent as he wrote this list, he he thought in that way or not. Uh, But regardless, that is very helpful. You see, without practicing self-control, you will not be able to walk the way of the Spirit. You, You can't exhibit the fruit of the Spirit in your life as a Christian without exercising self-control. And so to put it really bluntly, what Paul is saying here is you cannot be a Christian full stop without this thing we call self-control. Without it, you'll give in to the desires of the flesh. And without it, well, you'll fail to walk by the Spirit. And so I hope you can see how, how important this is to think well on and, and get right in our Christian lives. Uh, and in a moment, I want to move on to the second point. Okay, we need self-control, so how do we grow in it? How do we get better at it? But before we do that, I just want to spend some time getting real with ourselves on this. 
Uh, before we do that, I want you to realize that self-control is hard. And we all struggle with it. And I want us to be convinced that it's not only this problem out there with other people. You know, if only other people had more self-control, wouldn't the world be a better place? No, I want us to realize that actually self-control is not just a problem out in the world, but it's a problem in here. It's a problem in our own hearts. I want us to be convinced that we need to grow at this. And so let me ask, what is it for you? You know, what are the areas where you know, actually, I, I need to be better with my self-control? Uh, I won't give you the specifics or, or the frequency, but for me personally, I need to be more self-controlled in my patience. And I think Phil spoke really well on this uh, last week. When we think about patience, it's not just, you know, I can't wait for the holidays types of, of patience, but it's patience towards people. And as I think about myself, I know I need to be more patient with my kids I know I need to be more patient and and long-suffering towards uh, people who do wrong by me in small ways. I can be too quick to snap at the kids. I can be too quick to have bursts of uh, anger towards those who I think have wronged me in small ways, particularly on the road, now that city traffic's back to normal, and the soccer field, if you've seen me play. Uh, I need to be self-controlled when it comes to my own selfish ambitions. Am I desiring and wanting what God's will is and his glory or my own. And I've always struggled up and down with materialism. Uh, I had my good times and my not-so-good times. Uh, Times of great generosity with God's provisions to me and my family and other times where, well, the desire of the flesh gets the better of me, where I think I do lose self-control and I over-consume the good gifts of our God to us in this world. And I think in our Sydney side of context, probably most of us struggle with materialism in some way. But what is it for you? Get real with God in your mind. Is it the words of your mouth and your tongue? Uh, James chapter 3, I think, is right when James tells us that the tongue is a fire. That the tongue is a world of unrighteousness that pollutes the whole body. 1 Timothy 5 warns of being an idol and a gossip. Is the tongue and your words a place lacking self-control? Are you a gossip? Do you belittle others and mock them and, and disrepute people with your words? Or is it those, is it those supposedly private desires of the flesh and, uh, and temptations where you lack self-control? You know, those things that, uh, that we do and we say and we view in the privacy of our own home and in the privacy of our own time, you know, when no one else can see, uh, if you're married, your husband can't see you, your wife can't see you, your parents can't see you. In some ways, it's very easy to practice self-control in public. It can actually be easier to practice self-control even at church, you know, just to, to put up the facade on a Sunday. Uh, and, and part of the problem is the problem of pride. You know, we come to church and we want to appear as if we're godly. We want to appear as if we've got it all together when we're in front of other people. Uh, parents know this very well. Uh, you know, if you think of families that you know, uh, you know, the kids go wild and they do the wrong thing in public and, uh, and everyone knows the kid's doing the wrong thing, but the mum or the dad usually speaks something like this, oh, don't do that, dear. That, don't be like that. That's not nice. No, no, no. Don't say that to your sister. Oh, please put down the stick. That, that's not a good idea. But if that same parent was at home with the kids, it's more like, what did I tell you? Leave your sister. If you, if you touch that stick one more, I'm, look. You know, and so what happens in public and what happens in private can be very different. But self-control is an all-of-life thing. 
private and public. And so that's why I say those supposedly private desires and temptations, because ultimately, they're not in private. Ultimately, they are not unseen. Uh, J.C. Ryle, he's an old man who's dead, wrote 150 years ago, uh, this book to young men. So it's a bit old, but it's very applicable. And it's applicable to men and women, regardless of age. But he writes this in a book to young men. He says this. It's up on the screen. He says, The eye and ear of God are there before you. You may deceive your parents or employers. You may tell them lies and act one way before their faces and another behind their backs. But you cannot deceive God. He heard what you said. He knows what you are thinking. How many things are done continually which men or women, for that matter, would never do if they thought they were seen? And he goes on to say, Do nothing you would not like God to see. Say nothing you would not like God to hear. Write nothing you would not like God to read. Go no place where you would not like God to find you. And never spend your time in such a way that you would not like to have God say, What are you doing? I must admit, as I wrote that into my script during the week, I stopped and I prayed. I just prayed that God would forgive me. Uh, and I praised God that, that because of Jesus, his son, I might be forgiven. I think we all struggle with this, if we're honest. And we'll think more about forgiveness in a minute. But the point here is, brothers and sisters, do not be deceived. If you lack self-control in those private areas of your life, God sees and God hears. Uh, that's why I had the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife read out for us before. Because did you hear why Joseph refused to sleep with Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife? Because the reality is he could have. He could have got away with it. It could have been private. They could have had a secret fling, a secret relationship. No one would have to know. Potiphar, he's out doing his work. He didn't have to know about it. But what did Joseph say? It's up on the screen. He said, how could I do such a great evil and sin against God? See, Joseph knew that God would know that God would see, that that sort of sin is not only evil, but it's sin against God. You see, pornography, drink, gambling, gossip, hatred in your heart, the things you say to your wife, the things you say to your husband, the things you say to your parents, the things you say to your friends, these are not private desires and temptations hidden from our God. God knows, God sees, God hears, and we need to practice self-control with such things. And I know this is heavy. I know this makes us all feel uh, the weight and guilt of our sin. But Paul rightly warns us of the desires of the flesh because our place in the kingdom of heaven is at stake. And God, in his love for us, he gives us this word. He wants us to know and to practice and to grow in our self-control. It's part of God's grace to us that he gives us these warnings. It helps us to live for him, not to turn our back on God. Because the point is, we cannot be followers of the Lord Jesus and continually lack self-control. So, having said the hard things, how then can we grow in our self-control? I've got three points, and it's there on your outline. And the first is... We battle for it. I hope you've seen this every week as we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit, because that's what Paul exhorts us to do, walk by the Spirit, to live the way of the Spirit, is a battle. It doesn't just happen. We need to fight for it. 
And I think we can be comforted by that fact. Because remember, because remembering that it's a battle actually helps us to understand why it's hard, why it's not easy, why we find it difficult to practice self-control and to walk by the Spirit. And the opposite should be a concern. If you find it easy, if you say, oh, look, hey, Mike, look, you know, cool words and stuff, but I'm sweet with self-control. I've got it down packed. I don't have an issue with self-control. Then I would say, well, I wonder if that's because you're not exercising it. I wonder if it's because you're giving in to the desires of the flesh. And if that's the case, then you need to hear the warning. But be comforted if you find self-control hard. And be comforted if you find the Christian life a battle at times because that means you're exercising self-control. That means you're battling. So keep battling. Uh, It's kind of like a, a supermarket trolley. I don't know if you found this, but it's almost impossible to find a supermarket trolley that goes straight. You know how you grab one and you start pushing it and it just kind of goes everywhere and you're trying to go down the aisle and you know the wheels at the front are kind of going, they're kind of flittering all over the place. And uh, you're trying to keep it down the aisle and it pulls left and it pulls right. Uh, and to keep it straight, you need to control it. You need to exercise control. You need to fight this trolley. You need to battle it. And if you don't, you know, bang, off you go into this poor elderly lady or bang, you run over this kind of three-year-old toddler. All sorts of consequences in supermarkets. But, but that's the Christian life. You see, to walk by the Spirit, you need to battle. You need to exercise self-control. You need to work at, at staying on the straight and narrow. So don't give up the fight. Don't let that flittering nature, the flittering desires of our flesh win the day. I love the way Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 9. And here Paul is talking about the path of salvation. That is the Christian life as you walk towards eternal life. This is what the Christian life is like. He says this, it's up on the screen. He says, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? So run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. However, they do it to receive a crown that will fade away, but we a crown that will never fade away. Therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. You see, we battle in self-control for that crown That will never fade. And that is the Christian life. And I want to say and make really clear at this point that that we're not saved by how hard we battle. We're not saved by how hard we exercise self-control or how hard we discipline our bodies. Remember, we're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Brendos helpfully said that already. But a life of faith in Christ is one lived for Christ. It's one that seeks to please Jesus and live for him. And if we don't battle, if we don't battle at all, then I think we show that our faith is not in Christ. Because the life of faith is one like that, that Paul describes. It's it's battling. It's fighting on towards that day when Jesus will take us home. So keep battling. And when you do slip up, or when I slip up in our self-control, When the battle seems to be going that way of the flesh, which it will at times, we must make sure that we never give up. You see, the worst thing we can do is not battle. Because whenever temptation comes, we do have a choice at that point. 
We rather choose to ask God for help and to walk by the Spirit, or we choose to give in to that temptation and follow the desires of the flesh and, and really throw self-control out the window. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, if you've ever read them or, or seen the movies, uh, he wrote this last century, and uh, he was talking about addiction, uh, what he calls chronic temptations, but he's talking about Christians suffering with addiction. And he, he wrote this. He says, I know all about the despair of overcoming chronic temptations, addictions in a Christian life. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home, that is, by the time we get to heaven, to eternal life. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing, or the fatal think, in the way that he says it there, I think, the fatal think is to lose one's temper and give it up. That is, give up the fight against temptation. And how could C.S. Lewis say this with such confidence? How could he be so confident that the, the towel, so to speak, will be there ready for us? That eternal life is waiting for those who trust in Jesus, even in the midst of addiction in this life, in the Christian life. How could he be so confident? It's because our God is a God of forgiveness. Ours is a God who sent Jesus, his one and only son, to die for us so that we might have forgiveness. So that our sins, past, present and future, might be forgiven. And so in those times in the Christian life where we do sleep up, where we do lack self-control, where you know, the trolley kind of goes in a way that we don't want it to go, where we find ourselves pulled in a direction in our Christian life where we go, I don't want to be here, but I am here. I don't know how. I didn't want to be here, but I am. I've done this. Well, as long as we continue to pick ourselves up and turn to our Savior and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness and repent of our ways, ask for God's help, the promise of the Scriptures is we'll be forgiven. The promise is that because of the nature of our God, he will forgive us. He knows our battle. See, the worst thing we can do, the most fatal thing we can do is give up. So if you hear nothing else from this series on, uh, on Galatians and uh, the fruit of the Spirit, hear this, battle on, walk by the Spirit, keep working at it. That is the reality of the Christian life. That's the first thing to say about growing in self-control. But if I was to stop there, I would uh, be doing us a grave disservice because we're not alone in this battle. Uh, all that I've said in the last point about battling and fighting and persevering, all of that would be impossible if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. And I want us to see this from Galatians because it's part of the context. So go back to chapter 4, flick back, scroll back, whatever it is. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And this is, the, this is where Paul begins before he builds to chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit. But Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And there's so much I could say from that verse. It's such a great company in many ways. But the point for us here is, we're not alone in this. We are by no means alone in this battle for the Christian life. We can cry, Abba, Father, and ask for help. We can pray to the God of all things, our Father, and ask for the Spirit of His Son to enable us to press on, to, to walk the way of the Spirit. And not only will God help us, 
but he understands our fight. And that's why I had Luke chapter 4 read out and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness by Satan. Because Jesus knows our temptation. If you think you are tempted, if I think I'm tempted, Jesus has been more tempted. He was tempted in the wilderness by the direct assault of Satan over and over again. Just, just imagine being Jesus at that point. Satan comes up to him and he says to Jesus, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. Jesus, you know you need to go to the cross. Jesus, you know you need to die for sins. Jesus, you know you need to face the wrath of God for the sin of the world. But I, Satan, say, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world right now. No cross, no, no dying for sin, no wrath of God. Imagine the temptation for Jesus. We've never been tempted like that. And yet Jesus did not sin. He resisted. He, he practiced perfectly self-control. And not only at that point, but throughout all his earthly life. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he does so in every way because he's been tested in every way, in the most extreme ways by Satan himself, and yet he never sinned. And what did Galatians 4 just tell us? We have the Spirit of God's Son. We have Jesus himself to help us, who exercised perfect self-control. We are not alone. And so ask God to help you in those areas of your life where you struggle with self-control, where you are tempted beyond what you think is your self-control. Ask God to help you. It's our privilege to ask him. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Focus on him. Grow in your love for him. That's actually the best way to beat temptations. It's actually the best way to have self-control against temptations is focus on Jesus. There's a, there's a very helpful little book by an English pastor called Vaughan Roberts. You might have heard of him. Uh, but the book's called The Porn Problem. And uh, in it, there's this testimony from a man who had real addiction uh, to pornography and really struggled with it. And actually, it comes right after a testimony from a woman who had the same problem with pornography addiction. So it's not just a male thing. But he writes this. He says this up on the screen. He says, However much I tried it, as in tried not to view pornography, the willpower of just don't look at it never worked. I could go for a few days, and then the hole left just had to be filled. But then God made me realize that my choice was not simply between sinning or not. It was between desiring Jesus who would satisfy or desiring something else which would not. And the man continues to say, the struggle didn't become easy then, but it did become winnable. Because I realized I had to choose not to walk away from something, but towards someone. And Vaughan Roberts in the book goes on to say, if we want to fight against pornography, or whatever it is for you, we, we all have the things we struggle with, you know, whatever wrong behavior, you know, gambling, gaming, pride, greed, whatever it is for you, Vaughan Roberts helpfully says we should not just focus on the sin and just try hard and not to do the sin. No, no, rather focus on the Savior. And I think that's right. See, don't wallow in the guilt of sin and focus on the sin. Look to Jesus and delight in him. Find your joy in the everlasting gospel of Christ Jesus and ask God to help you. And he will, by his spirit, grow you in self-control to set your eyes upon Christ. That is the promise. So that's the second thing to say. The third and final thing to say, and very briefly, 
it's really a reminder of what we've seen every week. And that is we press on by the promise of God. So you go now to Galatians chapter 5. Go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And I, I think this is really helpful. Embed this verse in your mind. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus and you want to live to please him, embed this verse in your mind. It's truly helpful and it is a promise. Galatians 5, verse 16. God says to us, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. You see, God doesn't promise the Christian an easy life. He doesn't promise us the end of sin and temptations altogether now. But the promise of God is that as we battle, as we walk by the Spirit and we follow the Spirit, as we pray to God for help, as we live in accord with God's good word, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, those moments when the Holy Spirit pricks our consciences with the word of God, when we listen, the promise is we will grow. We will live out the fruit of the Spirit and we will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And the greater promise is that one day that battle will be over. Look forward to that day. Press on to that day. Look forward to the day when there will be no battle in the new creation, only that crown of eternal life that will never fade. And God promises us to work in us to take us there. You see, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, God will persevere you to the end. So keep going. That's his promise to us. I'm just going to finish now by uh, praying in, in the words of this old hymn, which I think are very helpful. The words are up on the screen. Let me pray in these words. Heavenly Father, help us to be valiant, to be strong, to resist the powers of sin. The fight is long, the foe is strong, but we shall win. For through the power of Christ, the stronger than strong, we shall be more than conqueror. Heavenly Father, help us to be valiant, to be strong. Amen.